Today, I want to talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart. How we bully children, sometimes without even realizing it. Now, of course, you are well aware of how some people mistreat children in society. I'm talking about physical abuse and sexual abuse. Now, if you think spanking is okay, if you think disciplining your child is okay, let me recommend that you go to Stefan Molyneux's website, Free Domain Radio, and search for the series of audios or videos called The Bomb in the Brain. The Bomb in the Brain. And uh, in these, Stefan Molyneux talks a lot about proves from scientific studies how violence against children reduces IQ points, creates more aggression as age progresses, and causes all sorts of problems developmentally in the future for children. And consider that what he says, because it's very, very good stuff. It's also a useful resource for anyone who has children in their lives, such as grandparents or uncles and aunts, who does not want these children to suffer. It's a resource to give to parents something to look at um, with bound up with proof so they can see the damage that physical punishment does to children as they get older. Stefan proves, I think quite convincingly, in these videos that people aren't good or bad. People are adaptable. And if you grow up in a very violent environment, you will tend towards violence. If you grow up in a very peaceful environment, you will barely have any violence at all. And despite the fact that through the state we have a lot of wars and violence going on in our world, basically things go pretty peacefully for most of us most of the time. And that's almost a miracle considering how much we hear about the violence around us and how we feel threatened by it. But the violence that does exist, and if you start looking at serial killers and, and people like that, uh, look at their childhoods. Look at Hitler's childhood. Look at Stalin's childhood. He goes through all these things much better than I can. So I won't do anything to go into that much deeper. I will just say, go read that for an explanation about physical punishment or enforcing your will upon your child through violence or spanking and why that doesn't work and why that's ineffective. It doesn't even actually cause the children to behave or be obedient in the long run. The parents who are most violent, their children have children who are most violent back. So it may seem like a good way to solve a problem initially, but it won't. And that, again, is just a reference if you're scientific-minded and you've believed what you've been taught about children needing to be uh, seen and not heard, spoil the rod, spare the child, as applied to physical punishment, things like that. And you need data and scientific information to help you decide what to do in raising your child. But I'm hoping that the great majority of people listening to this would never hit a child, never strike a child for any reason, regardless of what anyone says. And all this boils down to the golden rule, don't do to anybody else what you wouldn't like them to do to you. 
even if, or perhaps especially if, that person is a child. But here I wanted to talk about bullying and violence. And violence is, according to Marshall Rosenberg, and it's a definition I like, using threat, blame, shame, guilt, punishment, or reward to get someone to do something, to manipulate someone into doing something that you want them to do, that they wouldn't have done otherwise, meaning they don't want to do it. We need to move away from the concept of ownership in relationships, period, because it causes an amazing amount of pain. If we think we own our partner, then when they don't do what we want, it causes enormous violation of our beliefs and pain. But even more, we think we own children very often, and that just isn't the case. Children own themselves, and we have some responsibility, perhaps stewardship, you can say, to assist them, if we so choose, but we don't own children. They're not in, like slaves, right? And for the most part, most of us have been through this mill of being changed from exciting individuals into robots fulfilling roles for society. Well, people ask, how are they supposed to do whatever they want? We can't have children and people just doing whatever they want in society. That wouldn't work. Are you sure? Look at the people who you respect and admire who have accomplished amazing things in society. Are they the people that conform and do what others tell them? Or are they those who move outside the box? And every child is outside the box from birth. Think about this before you decide you need to train a child or discipline a child. How much of your life flows spontaneously out of your energy and aliveness? How much of your life, what percentage, is connected to your joy and your passion? How much do you really, really enjoy? And compare that with the child that you're dealing with. Do you have more joy than the child? More creativity, more expression, more bliss, more being in the moment? More passion, more drive, more concentration? If the child grows up to be like you, will he or she be happy, content, or practical, organized, sensible. These are all words that are used for one reason or another uh, by people and organizations that attempt to control us and use our energy for their own ends, just like a business has employees and 90% of the total energy of the employee or 50% or 30%, whatever it may be, goes toward the business and its profits and whoever owns it, and the employee is given a small percentage to take home. Just like that, society on every level has systems that require energy and food that can absorb an unlimited amount of energy. And the more people that are putting energy, meaning time and money and parts of their life and effort into these machines, the better the machines run, the more powerful they are. And uh, these molochs, 
in our society will consume whatever they can, completely down to the entire environment and creating starvation in Africa and sweatshops for children in Asia and whatever else it is that the Moloch needs, what the, the system needs to maintain its power and to increase that power. Now, what was important for me to discover, which I hadn't, even though it's the elephant in the room for my entire upbringing, is the concept that discipline comes from a place of, I know more than you, better than you, what you should be doing, what your true purpose is. It's a higher versus lower mentality. So the child comes to the planet and as I said before, compare yourself, but we assume, oh, I've got it figured out and you don't. Just like, uh, just because you can read and write doesn't necessarily mean that you understand life better than the child or that you can experience a rose better than a child or the touch of another person better than a child. In fact, these things are so often shut down on us that we don't even notice them because to notice them would be to come in contact with extreme pain that most of us do not want to deal with or don't have space to deal with because we're, as I said previously, giving energy to this machine. Kind of like the Matrix. So if you can abandon this entire I'm higher better, more intelligent than you mentality when dealing with children. Number one, it will help you a lot for your own spiritual and emotional growth. And the second of all, you won't need to listen to the rest of this because if you do that, you will automatically relate in ways that make sense, that provide equality, do unto others as you would have, do, have them do unto you. And it wouldn't be necessary to even have anyone tell you all the ways in which you're not doing that. But this shift takes some time to do. And I spent about seven months, more or less, uh, with all of my free time trying to understand this shift from the domination culture. From there's a right way to do things and someone knows what that is, according to Marshall Rosenberg and Walter Wink, to the non-domination culture, to the cooperation culture. So it might take you some time to be patient with yourself, and I'll just give you some things for you to look at and to be conscious of when you're dealing with children so that you know when you're in that mindset, if you would like to get out of it. And the first thing to be cognizant of is the concept of preferences versus labels. Preferences versus labels. So we often have the feeling that the way someone does something or the way someone looks pleases us. It's pleasant to us. We like it. And that's fine. That's wonderful. We just need to be aware that whatever we're seeing, whatever's happening, whatever the other person is doing, it has to do with us and what we like. It doesn't have to do with what is absolutely positively liked in every situation, what is preferable for everyone always. Yeah, um, I just read this morning uh, a comment on Facebook. When I was a child, I didn't like spanking. So, you know, everything can change as time goes on. Our preferences can change. Our desires can change. Things that we thought we didn't like before, we like now. And sticking to our mental 
or conceptual idea of what we like is limiting for the present and doesn't allow us to experience every moment as it is if we're stuck in our heads about what is preferential and what's not preferential. Nonetheless, when we're with a child, we need to look about how we're explaining to them the actions which they're taking and their effect on us. And to do this, we very often use labels. For example, if we have behavior that we don't like, that wasn't nice, that wasn't kind, that was wrong, that was mean, etc., etc., etc. We use these labels that just sort of label, um, if we do it very clumsily, the entire child, you're mean, you're bad. If we're if we do it a little bit better, then we're only labeling the behavior. That was mean, that was unkind, etc. And these labels suggest that there's one absolute standard for kindness or politeness, etc. When really that standard extends about as far as your culture in a maximum plane. So Burping at the dinner table is, in the West, in America, a very impolite thing to do. And in um, Persian cultures, it's a very complimentary thing to do. So a lot of the things that we label as kind or unkind, as correct or incorrect, are just cultural. You know, it wasn't born with that as the absolute one way to be or to do things. And the rest of those behaviors which we like are very often just due to our own personal preferences and not to any um, divinely given list of how one is supposed to be. Now let's look at what happens when you use labels. If I look at you as an adult and I say, you're dumb or you're mean, then immediately I put myself in a position to judge. Well, who can judge you? really. Only those people that are higher than you. So I could only judge you if I have perfect knowledge, basically, about you and sufficient to know why you did whatever it is you did. I understand perfectly your motives. I can judge them. I can understand your history. I can see everything about you. And so I can tell you that you have this label, which again is a universally preferred label, which I understand perfectly because of my godlike status above you. That's the only way to look at it because of my godlike understanding of the situation, of the word, um, of everything it represents, of your motives, etc. So anytime you're using labels on someone else, you are putting yourself above them. You're, in the very least, you're putting a massive wall of separation between you. And actually what you're doing 99% of the time is putting yourself above them to put a label on them. When the truth is, you don't know about everything that went through that person's mind. You don't know the history. You don't know all the context. You don't know what they're dealing with today. You don't know how they feel inside. You may not know what happened previously on that day. So putting a label on them is pure hubris, pure ego. And not only does it separate you from them, but it also 
puts you above them and gives them the idea that you are in some sort of higher plane from them and you're going to just decide why they did what they did and then label their entire behavior or their entire person with a label. So a lot of times, and this is actually a form of punishment, a form of manipulation, a form of control over the behavior of a person. Now, you may have never thought of it that way, but that's really what it is. You're trying to get the behaviors you want. You're trying to eliminate the behaviors you don't like by labeling the behaviors. However, that is not the most effective, and it's probably not even a little bit effective way of getting the behaviors you want because you're attacking the free will of the person when you do that. So first of all, if you give them a negative label, let's look at those first. You're selfish, you're greedy, you're mean, you're unkind. Then what you're really talking about is a specific behavior that you didn't like of theirs. You took the last of the potatoes and I wanted some. Or you didn't open the door for me, and I would have enjoyed that. Or you said something to me that I didn't like. You know, there's words that some people would absolutely not countenance or enjoy in their relationship that other people use all the time in their culture or in their family or in their relationships that don't offend other people or that actually are terms of endearment. There is no big list of words that's appropriate and inappropriate for all people. Everyone has their standards. Everyone has their desires about how they want to treat it, be treated in virtually every facet of their lives. And putting that label on someone else, what you're doing is you're also hiding behind that label and not saying what it is you'd actually like, because if you open up to what the label represents, you're asking for a specific behavior, but you're doing it in a generalized way. You're not actually saying, this is me, I would like this, can you do this for me? And I don't know if I have time to get into here, but I shall at some point, why we can't ask for what we want, why it's so difficult to ask directly for what we want. But it starts with children, so this is a good place to start. You're asking for something, but you're asking for it in an indirect way. And if you say you're mean, then you're trying to manipulate a specific behavior, which the person probably doesn't even understand which behavior you want, because you haven't said which behavior that is. And that behavior needs to be looked at. To be honest, and what you know is, is an isolated event. You need to see what happened, what you liked or what you didn't like, and ask for it. So maybe you've somehow understood negative labels and the damage they cause. Because then once, the, even if the person understands the behavior, if you've labeled them as mean, then they'll say, well, that's okay. If that's how that person thinks how I am, I am, that won't help to do anything differently. So I will just continue doing that, right? So you haven't really helped it, even if they've understood the behavior connected to the label. Um, you've put distance in between you. You haven't shown any connection or empathy. And um, I guess I could talk a long time about labels, about everything bad that they do. But they're just, they're just um, fundamentally something you don't want to use in your relationships if you want to be clear, if you want to get your needs met. And the same thing applies to dealing with children. Now, up till now, I've just talked about 
negative labels and all of the problems that they cause. They're a form of manipulation. They distance you from your own needs and preferences and wishes. They're not clear. Um, they create, they often foster negative feelings in the person. But what about positive labels? We can use positive labels, can't we? Those are good. All right, let's look at positive labels. Oh, you're smart. You're beautiful. You're intelligent. You're so good, etc. Are those a good thing or a bad thing? Well, you may think, hey, you know, I'm complimenting people. That's so great. That's a positive thing. I'm supposed to think positive. This would definitely be helpful. But is it really? First of all, the question is, why are you complimenting people? You're complimenting people as a stimulus for the behavior that you want. And as we go through everything that we're doing with bullying children, everything that I'm going to talk about is a manipulative tactic that you would use more or less with a dog or a horse to get it to do what you want and completely glosses over whatever is internal to the creature in question. In this in this, as we're talking about, the child, right? These are training systems. Everything that I'm saying is different things that you could say to a dog to try and get what you want from it. Now, the dog will have difficulty understanding your language in other ways, so this is what people very often do, um, is to break the dog, break the horse, we call it, right? And this is the same thing we're applying to children. We're simply breaking them of their will. That's what the goal to all of this is. And we think once we've broken them of their will, then we will get what we want from them in terms of behaviors, in term, which aren't even the behaviors we really want a lot of the time. They're society's behaviors. However, assuming you've broken a dog or a horse and it does all the time exactly what you want, how much of the personality of the horse or dog is left? How much of the real animal is still there? Not very much. You've just turned it into a robot, right? That was the point. It's supposed to be a machine. It's supposed to be a robot. So it's the same thing for children. If you're applying all of these principles in a non-conscious way, and you got the child to do exactly what you wanted whenever you wanted the child to do that, how much of the child's personality would be left? Probably not very much. How much of that child's natural joy and spontaneity and creativity would still be there? Probably not very much. So you should need to be aware of that when you're applying these labels. Now again, returning to the labels, what's wrong with positive labels? Well, most of the time you're applying a static label, you're talented, you're smart, you're beautiful, to something that is happening in the moment. So, um, I like how you did your makeup. I think that I like how that dress looks on you. I enjoyed that piano sonata you played. Um, I appreciate your knowledge of and assistance with fixing my car. You're talking about a specific event that just happened, but you're generalizing it with a positive label. So first of all, when you use positive labels, it's very unclear. The other person doesn't know what he or she did that you liked. Thus, you're not really encouraging that behavior in the future. Um, second of all, and I wanted to say this previously, if you get a child to do what you want based upon a label, then is it really the child out of 
and based upon his training, is it the child based upon the love in its heart, in his or her heart, that is contributing to your positive, whatever it is you're enjoying on behavior, or is it sort of a separated part of the obedient self? And that's something else. Do you want to be in full contact with that person as they consciously choose to give you what you want in the way that you would most enjoy it? Or would you like them to disconnect from any feelings of discomfort that they might be feeling against doing what you want and simply go through those and give you the correct behavior? In other words, what would you like the motivation to be and the feeling to be while someone is doing what you want? This is another facet to the concept. So anyway, back to positive labels. A couple quick turns, but back to positive labels. So beautiful, smart, whatever. What happens is your, your again, stimulus response, you're training the animal, so to speak, to do whatever it is you like, if the animal has understood it. So when I got good grades in school, my parents said, you are smart. And of course, you know, they wanted to want me to keep getting good grades in school. And I saw, okay, here's approval and love being rewarded when I get good grades. It wasn't like, when you get good grades, um, I my need for safety is met because I know, because I feel that that will help you get a better job and you will be secure in the future, regardless of the validity of that concept. But if that concept was there and that that was what the parents were feeling, if they said that, it would be much clearer to the child what the reason was that the parent was happy about the good grades for. And it was it would also be disconnected from the sense of, I am greater than you, better than you, right? Because just as we put ourselves above someone when we put on a negative label, we put ourselves above someone when we say a positive label as well. And that's why it's ridiculous when a concert goer goes to a piano player and says something like, you're the most amazing pianist in the world. And the pianist just has to laugh because the pianist is aware, has much greater consciousness of all of the great piano players in the world and who is perhaps better than than him or herself. And the concert goer, by making such a ridiculous statement, has put themselves in a position to judge, a position to really understand the milieu and put themselves above the pianist in this case, which is which in this case is absurd. It's simply ridiculous. But at the same time to say, oh, that's beautiful. Well, that's to put yourself in the position of understanding all beauty, isn't it? No, it's your idea of beauty. It's your concept and things that you like, perhaps other people wouldn't think are beautiful, right? So again, even positive labels or you're smart, right? This this does several other things and I will get into those now. You apply these labels. First of all, you're putting yourself above the person to put the label on again, that you understand beauty or truth or kindness or intelligence or whatever, instead of saying what was really fulfilled by you. Second of all, you're being unclear again. So just as with negative labels, you're smart. Yeah, what was good that I got these grades or, you know, that I got them at this time or what is the what is exactly the behavior that was appreciated here? Third of all, you've created a way to receive love. And this is like giving the, the Scooby snack, the, the food to the, 
dog, right? You've created a way to get appreciation and love. Okay, so you're smart here, so you get thrown the bone. And what this happens, what happens then, is that the child says, okay, as long as I'm being smart, I'm getting love. Therefore, I cannot ever show times when I'm not smart. What this person he led to in, in myself is having to pretend to be at a very high level of competence in order to try to get love. So what happens is I really seldom ask people for advice and ask people to help me because I learned being smart was being in school and being alone, getting the good grades without cooperation. And that demonstrated my intelligence. Therefore, and that's what got me love. Therefore, I'm not going to ask other people for help when I have problems because that would demonstrate my incompetence. And as a result, love that would be coming to me would be decreasing. People won't like me as much if I demonstrate I'm not as smart as they they thought I was. So what happened was my identity became wrapped up in being smart. And this created all sorts of problems. If this is the way to get love, then if any point something happens that I think is unsmart, you know, I, I lock my keys in the car, I do something that someone could possibly classify as not being that bright, then all of a sudden I'm stricken with panic because what if I lose that one place where I receive the approbation and the praise and through that the love that I needed? If I lose that one thing, then that's a source of my being able to be on this planet, being accepted, being loved. And if that's gone, there's nothing left. So there was crazy panic about revealing this, about solving problems without asking for help, about letting my parents not know I was... Uh, not letting my parents know I wasn't perfect or wasn't smart enough for them, right? So this blessing, this, oh, you're smart, which they said probably just to help me out, you know, they didn't know any better at the time, ended up being something that locked me in a specific concept and path and kept me from revealing any time I could stay away from it that I wasn't perfect, that I wasn't smart, right? So this is a, this is a, this is a, what do you call it? It's a carrot with a stick attached, putting these labels on a child. First of all, you can have my love and attention appreciation if you do this, if you display this characteristic, which I define as being smart, which only the ways that I think are smart apply, but you have to guess what those is, what those are and do those exact behaviors, because I'm not going to tell you exactly. And second of all, the stick behind it is, if you cease being smart, if you don't fulfill my requirements, which I'm lording over giving you again, as if I were God, to give you these definitions of, and these labels of good or bad, positive or negative, because that's what's always connected with these labels. It's a positive or negative judgment, and we'll get to judgments next. Then you will lose that love. You will lose that compliment. You will lose that attention that you're getting through being that, right? Same thing when a woman, a girl is told at a very young age, she puts on a dress, she does a hair, maybe she's got makeup on and she's four years old, and everyone says, wow, aren't you beautiful? Again, it's a, number one, a judgment about the person, so it tends to be solidified in their mind. It's not like I did something that they liked or they enjoyed it. It's this is me. And when I do this thing, then everyone will like it. So aren't I beautiful connects again the woman, and I'm saying the two that I think are the strongest in our society, 
connects it to, okay, if I want love, if I want appreciation, I need to be beautiful. If I want to be beautiful, then I need to put on a nice dress and do my makeup and do my hair. And um, this innocent remark when the child's very young, and it doesn't matter really whether it's the positive or the negative one, whether you say you're beautiful and you put on a dress or whether you say you're ugly when you just get up in the morning and see the child with, with, uh, without having taken a shower. doesn't matter. Either way, you create a trap that the child has to, in order to get love, keep fulfilling the standards which are given for being beautiful, which, again, must be guessed at. So they create sort of an infinite pressure. And the more beautiful I am, the more love I'll get. Well, guess where anorexia comes from? Uh, guess where um, all sorts of self-image issues come from? Be from this very thing that parents are lovingly trying to do. Okay, I don't want my child to be... And there's a fear in the parent most of the time is deeply behind this. I don't want my child to be shut out of society. I want them to find a good mate. I want them to be able to get married and everything, you know, and have children and everything should go wonderful for them. Therefore, I'm going to encourage them. Actually, you're, you're sticking and carroting them just like you are with a dog to be a certain way. And that way is for women very often beautiful. For men, it's very often smart. If someone bucks this, then all the systems start going a bit haywire. And um, we thought we were doing something good for the child, but in reality, we're not when we're labeling them. So instead, what do you do? Instead of applying labels, you realize that it's a preference that you have. Oh, I really like it when you have that dress on. Maybe the guy you'll marry one day or is very attracted to you loves tattoos on your forehead. We don't know. But I like this right now. This is what I appreciate. And also, this isn't you. When we don't apply the label, we say this was a specific thing you did. I liked it. I didn't like it. Regardless of that, the amount of love that's available for you doesn't change. The amount of attention you receive doesn't change. It doesn't change who you are, what you are. And who you are, what you are initially is enough. You don't need to become something else or work to become more beautiful. So do you see the difference? It's a preference versus a label. And it's very difficult to get out of our heads that we aren't the ones who judge. We're not, you know, as Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. It's a boomerang. It comes back to us when we're applying these things because we're obviously saying to our child the things that we wish would were said to us. We wish we'd had the labels applied to us. We're afraid of the situations. And imagine what would have happened if the child had just been okay however it was, whatever it was doing in any given moment. If it didn't have to worry about getting married one day, if it didn't have to worry about getting into the right school to become a doctor, to, yeah? All of these expectations and concepts for the future make us put pressure on the children to the point where children are having all sorts of emotional difficulties that were completely unheard of uh, 50 or 100 years ago. Yes, we had other issues and other problems, but now we're treating children like little adults and giving them all the pressure that we have that we don't even like, that cause our midlife crisis and heart attacks and all of these things through all of these labels. So labeling, I didn't want to spend this much time on it, but labeling is an extremely, extremely insidious practice that most consciousnesses will not pick up the damage that's being done when you're applying labels to children. And, and uh, again, this is connected to the fundamental attitude of I'm better, I need to train you for the world. 
which, like I said, look at our world. Is that what you want your child to be like? Okay, well, think about it. And I just want to do a little segue right here about obedience. Now, I talked to a friend who was part of the arist uh, aristocracy in Germany, and she talks about how the whole time when Hitler came to power, the aristocracy was taught a few things, and they had this Prussian training that was created in the schools of how to raise children in Germany, and that was applied across the entire uh, German empire from Otto von Bismarck for the first time before that Germany was a bunch of separate um, provinces, countries, whatever you want to call them, and, and he connected them. And then they came up with a training that we have to teach everyone in order to keep this unity together. So how do we teach people? Well, the, the thing that we need to do is tell everyone to do what we say, right? So obedience was the highest good, and we create a very rigid social structure. You see this still hanging around in England. You see this um, in the aristocracies of European countries, and even uh, the aristocracies of China, Japan, etc., before their revolutions. And um, what you see is, or before their, their cultures you know, changed, updated, however you want to call it, and what you see is the aristocracy is supposed to be obedient. The arist First of all, how is an aristocracy created? An aristocracy is created by a king who decides to tell someone, okay, you help me out, so I'm going to give you power and titles and lands and things, and you know we'll support you with money or support you militarily, and you're able to take from those below you and use their resources, and for that you give me some, and you create a hierarchy, right? That's how aristocracies are created. But the aristocracy was trained in these Prussian schools with one thing above everything else, and that was obedience. So whoever was at the top, and it didn't matter who it was, you were supposed to be obedient with them. And it didn't matter whether this conflicted with your personal morality or what you thought should be happening. You should obey at all costs. Now, the aristocracy either then went into the priesthood or the military, depending on whether you were the first son or not. But um, when you went into the military, of course, we have this hierarchy again, and this hierarchy is bent on and connected with expanding the power of this obedience from this person who's very high above, who represents perhaps God or whatever you want to say, but they're the person at the very top. And the priesthood was also, of course, inspiring obedience, preaching obedience to God as the highest thing. And of course, who knows what God wants? Well, me, the priesthood, who are trained in it um, by people in the church. And of course, if you own the top of the church, if you're organizing what's going on at the top of the church, which are also just people, and uh, also been, be able to be affected by things, then um, the rest of everyone underneath them is covered in this hierarchy, right? So obedience was the highest good. And this is what allowed Hitler to have such an easy time of taking a whole country trained in obedience and making them do what their leader... I mean, he was rightfully elected as chancellor, right? And then he changed things a bit, but Hitler never did anything illegal. Therefore, it was legal, which means in many people's minds, it was moral to do what he said, and obedience was the highest good. So I just want to ask you, if obedience is the highest good in Nazi Germany and created the concentration camps and killed all the people that it killed and started a gigantic war that killed tens of millions of people, 
is that really what you want to train your children with first and foremost, the principle of obedience? All right. And um, I can give other um, examples as well of how obedience gets us into trouble again and again and again. And even if a child obeys you, do you want a child to obey you simply because it has to? Or do you want your child to obey you because he or she wants to? And again, this is the, this is the concept of free will. Do you want the free will to be there? Do you want the decision to say no to be present for the child when he or she says yes? If you want to get a, get rid of the entire possibility of saying no, then there is no free will left, which means it wasn't chosen whatever you wanted. It was just decided, forced through, um, unconsciously acted through because the pain would be so great if, if they didn't do it. And what you've created is robots. You haven't created equal people who can negotiate with you and say yes and no and I, well, I would like to, but etc., etc. You've just created obedience. So again, when we put ourselves above others, obedience becomes the highest good. And, and all of these behaviors that I'm talking about, all these ways that we're bullying children relate to ways of getting obedience out of them or basically getting the behaviors we want out of them. And unfortunately, once you've planted all of these triggers and all of this conditioning in a child, um, it's used by schools. And also look how schools run. I mean, obedience is enforced based upon, okay, if you don't get, if you don't do what we say, if you don't have the answers that we have at the time we have them, if you're not quiet when we say you should be, then you'll won't be earning the money you should have, you know, in a later career and you won't get the attention and appreciation of your teacher, which is another form of coercion to get the, and it just continues in business, in military, in government. Everything is based upon hierarchy, coercion, stimulus, response, and conditioning, just like with dogs. But anyway, all of those triggers that you plant in the first three years by emphasizing obedience to such an extreme level can be used by anyone later. And that's why the aristocracy was obedient to Hitler because they'd been trained to be obedient to authority by their parents. So everything that you train your child to do can be used later by other people who find out what the con- what the stimulus response is and the conditioning is that your um, children have accepted through, or coercively accepted through growing up in the same household with you. So that was just a little segue on obedience. Now we've talked about labels, and labels are forms of judgment, and also Labels are subtle punishments and rewards. And I think I've explained a bit about punishments and rewards, but just to say it one more time, because repetition is one source of learning. Punishments and rewards are used in conditioning and response theory to achieve the behavior that you want from the animal. And let's just call people animals in this case, or at least mammals, right? So if you give the, doesn't matter what, the monkey, the elephant, the dog food when it does what you want and withhold that energy when it doesn't do what you want, you're training it. And as we found out, um, you know, animals, surely dogs and cats and probably other animals too, are not even just... Uh, connected to the energy of the Scooby snack, but they're also 
can be motivated by love, by attention, by touch, by petting, or by ignoring or negative energy, negative attention. They can be conditioned exactly the same as people can. And people do that. They yell at their dogs. They yell, you know, if they're not obedient and, and you see the dog sort of cower, right? It's an energy the dog doesn't like that knows this is the punishment. This isn't, this isn't love. This isn't, um, compassion. This isn't being stroked and, and getting attention from the owner, the parent, as you will, if you will. But this is not a good energy. And then the dog will try and avoid that even if you don't use food. So if you pick anything, any basic need of the creature, you can manipulate based upon that need. In other words, you can condition the creature to do something, the animal, the mammal, the child, to do something against its own natural tendencies and interests if you can connect it to a stronger need that's important. So, you know, food is an important need. Then you can get the animal to act against its natural tendencies. Well, you know what? How am I supposed to housebreak my animals, my kids? We can't just do our natural whatever we want, wherever we want. And again, this is, first of all, the, when the animal does its natural tendencies in the wild, it's just fine. It doesn't need to be trained at all. So think about that for a moment. Second of all, you do it by expressing preferences. What makes you happy, what makes you sad, what you enjoy, what you don't enjoy, without naming it as wrong or right. Because a child does want to please you, other people want to please you. They want your attention, they want your appreciation, your respect, your love, however they define it, your touch. And they will do what you want to get these things. But it's just better if you say directly what the behavior is that you want so they can choose whether to freely give it or not. So you can also choose to freely receive it instead of having it been coercively, uh, unconsciously, conditioned in. So by dealing in punishments and rewards instead of preferences, you're not really believing that people will naturally try and give you what it is you want, but they will. And why is that? Think about the time you were most happy in the last couple days, couple weeks. Usually it's when you were helping someone who couldn't help you back happens to me all the time. You know, I'm opening a door for someone or some little thing that someone needs and I have a good feeling about it. It's just natural. We are social creatures. If we didn't help each other out, we wouldn't be to the place we are now. And if we didn't have that natural inborn, let's help each other mentality, again, go listen to Stefan Molyneux for more details about this. We would have simply exterminated each other and been in constant states of war, etc. before we got to the place where we actually created armies and governments, etc. So people like to help other people. In a social setting, this is how you get your needs met and it, with a social creature. And we are definitely social creatures by cooperation and not by constant competition, one-upmanship, uh, backstabbing, etc. So people do like to meet your needs. Your children like to meet, meet your needs. They like to make you happy. Regardless of how you've treated your children in the past, they have this goal to make you happy, not only for their self, 
um, existence because if you don't love them anymore and leave them in the cold that they'll that they won't be around very long. I mean that's that is perhaps one reason, but also because of the joy it gives to do something to someone else who who makes them happy. You love to see how your energy, how your decisions can be applied to make other people happier. It gives you a great feeling of power, much better than the power of forcing someone through punishments and rewards and conditioning to do what it is you want them to do. And as you trust in that more and more and stop using punishments and rewards and labels and judgments to manipulate children, then you will get a much more fulfilled and satisfying response from them. I mean, do you want your children taking care of you in old age because you taught them that was the thing to do and you beat them every time they didn't take care of you when you were young? Or do you want your children to choose to take care of you because they love you and because the bond between you is so strong and because that makes them happy? It's something to consider. Okay, I've covered a lot of different concepts here. And not just connected with children, but also connected with relationships, getting your needs met. Um, we talked about using physical abuse to get what you want from a child and why that's a horrible thing to do. And again, look for Bomb in the Brain from Stefan Molyneux for an explanation of why that's such a bad idea for you in now in the future and, and catastrophic for your children. Reduces intelligence. Again, it makes them resent you uh, angry with you, they'll get back at you when they can, uh, creates more violent children, more, more acting out, more difficulties, more, more behaviors you don't like, um, more difficulties in the future, less able to enter relationships. There's a laundry list of reasons why that's not a good idea. When you don't respect children's self-ownership of their bodies and you don't do unto them as you'd like them to do to you. And, um, then we talked about how in a lot of ways, the world takes us and takes our spontaneous aliveness and creates robots who fit into society. And I don't know if this is evident yet, but if it's not, it's something to think about and look at as time goes on, as we just have the behaviors that society wants. I mean, this is the source of every midlife crisis, of depression, of all sorts of emotional difficulties, um, and I'll get more into that in the next podcast. And I want you to look at, again, how much of your life flows with spontaneity, creativity, aliveness, and joy, especially in dealing with your children. Are they a source of frustration, a source of joy? Is there a connection to them on a level of equality? And I know many parents don't believe that's possible. They're just children. Um, no, <laughs> they're not. Can you relate to your children on a level of equality? Can you get in their level? It's harder for you. You know, it's very difficult for you. It's very difficult for them to enter your headspace and your level. It requires unlearning and letting go of a lot of things. And I'm hoping that this podcast will contribute to your ability to do this, to leave the I'm higher than you state and enter into a partnership with children. No, this doesn't mean that every behavior goes, right? And that's the problem we see. Oh, I either have to be hard as nails or I have to be completely 
passive and let the children do whatever they want. That's not what I'm saying at all. And I'll get more into that in the next one. But before you decide my life is the life that children should live, look at how connected are you to your aliveness and joy? Do you have the relatings and the relationships do you want that you want? Do you connect with others in, in, a, in a way of passion, joy, spontaneity, creativity, um, and love? Do you, do you have what you want out of life? Uh, do you feel trapped at all by, by your life? Do you feel constricted? You know, look at this before you start training up the child in the way he should go. Um, look at whether you want them to have the life that you have or not, because I'm going to say a lot of us are at a very low level energetically with aliveness and joy. We're very afraid. We're very shy. We have our psychosis. We have our depressions. We have our, issues and our perfectionism and our obsessive compulsions, etc., etc. Look at all that. You know, are you in control of your life? Are you stable? Are you in a place? Do you have the beam out of your own eye so that you can say to your child, be like me and train the child? Even though naturally, if you are, the child will do it anyway because the child is watching you all the time. So if you're balanced and happy and joyful, then the child will simply copy that. And there's not a heck of a lot. They're modeled that. That's what we do as people. We model things in a social society. And there's not a heck of a lot of training that you need to do with a child. You need to train things that, that aren't natural. And being happy is a natural thing to want to do. And finding the patterns for happiness and living them, what could be closer to any children's heart than that? They will do that naturally. They'll come up with their strategies to get their needs met, which will in turn meet other people's needs and be happy if that isn't interfered with. So just consider how much of your life you live in a specific way because society's told you that that's the way to function. You have to pay your taxes, etc., etc. Yeah. Um, and how much of it is out of your aliveness and joy before you begin any training with a child. Um, and again, abandon the higher versus lower mentality, if you can, at all possible. You're an assistant. You're a friend. You're a helper to your child. You don't own your child. They're not your property or your possession. They have exactly the same soul and soul potential as you. And in 20 years or 30 years, they're not going to be significantly different from you in the number of skills that they've picked up and what their potential is. So so get away from the ownership concept of your child. Um, you have perhaps a stewardship, but not an ownership. And the stewardship is to assist them, just like uh, watching Batman when his parents die, and he's basically raised by the butler. It's kind of like that. You know, this child inherits everything and your job is just to gently guide it until it reaches adulthood and it can ask and, and it actually owns the world, right? As the potential of every child. So then we talked about preferences versus labels and why it's always better to speak in terms of your preferences in versus labels, why labels aren't true, why they don't work, why it's putting yourself above again, and why your preference is a much more direct way to number one, get the behavior you want, and number two, to be clear about what it is you want from your child or from anyone, because you'll find that once you apply these things to your child and you start applying them to other people in your life, they're exactly the same. And that's a, also a good way to think of it. Don't think of it, oh, the way I treat my child is a completely different way than I treat my partner or my boss or my friends. No. 
Same thing, if you connect to your feelings and you're expressing your preferences and what you need, what you desire, then other people have the chance to fulfill that from an open-hearted, freely giving, natural giving place instead of through a coercively conditioned space. So we talked about positive-negative labels, why positive labels are just as bad as negative labels, and how they're the source for everything from perfectionism to addictions to um, eating disorders to all of the things that, that plague our society. These positive labels put children and put people in the same trap that a negative label does, and they're not clear. They're a form of punishment reward, which we also talked about. We talked about obedience, why obedience is perhaps not the highest good, how it went wrong in Hitler's Germany, how it could go wrong in the future once other people get contacted to your child's obedience buttons and can trigger them to just uh, unconsciously do whatever it is that's commanded without thinking about it, without considering their own morality, their own self. I'm not sure if you want your child to do that, so that's a reason not to condition obedience. Talked about judgments that are the foundations of labels, why we can't judge, we we don't have all the information we think we do. Talked about uh, punishments and rewards, and that's judgment. Labels are part of the punishment and reward dynamic. Now, I wanted to get a lot more finished. I didn't finish it all, so I will finish it. I'll do another podcast on this. This has already been almost an hour. But it's a lot of concepts that I think people think they know, but I don't see being lived very often. So that's why I repeat things so much. That's why I go into such depth and also work on the fundamentals and the foundations around each concept, which are turn into little segues so that the information isn't isolated in just don't do this, do that, but that you so that you can understand the context and the foundation so that you can get other resources for it and so that you can sort of build a map in your head, which has not been provided, wasn't provided to me at all as a, as a child. I had to go figure out all this stuff starting in my teenage years. Get a map about successful relating with others. Um, in, in this case, with your children, starting with your children, so that you can find completely different paths and systems and processes to relating to others. They get their needs met, but more importantly, they get your needs met in an authentic complete, creative, enjoyable, flexible, joyful way. So thank you for listening to this. This was a very long conversation about children, but it was really important, and it was just the beginning, as I found out, and I'm going to talk in some depth on the next one about the details, about more complex and more subtle concepts in dealing with children, about how we bully them, impress our will upon them and how to let go of that and uh, connect to them, connect to them authentically and really instead of imposing a will and a society and a structure upon them that isn't working at the moment, if we're honest with ourselves. And we're sometimes like fish in water. We don't even see society because we're in it. And it doesn't matter what headlines we read, we sort of have this feeling that everything's must be okay. I mean, this is our society. There is no other. But there's lots of other ways to think about and do things. And I want to consider a non-domination model and suggest that to you, first in dealing with your children, and then in all other relationships. And then that will flow out politically 
as well, that we stop dominating others, but in, instead enter dialogue and look at all of our needs and get them met. Uh, that's the way that's helped our civilization grow for thousands and thousands of years. And it's been the only successful way. Every time we pull out guns, we make new enemies. We make people antagonistic to fulfilling our needs and helping each other. But we can all contribute to each other. So looking at a non-domination model, I think, is very important for peace um, in the family, in the group, in society, and uh, in, in the world as a whole. And I've just suggested some ways that we can start doing this avoiding labels, uh, judgments, rewards, punishments in the future. So this has been Ryan Orak, and uh, this has been published at byraba.com. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you have any questions, then send me a mail at me at byraba.com or uh, Google Ryan Orak. You can find me on Facebook as well. Hope you enjoyed it, and thank you for listening.